Hi, I'm Ben Field and welcome to another episode of the Hillsong Film and TV Podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with director Paul Neverson, who has not only been a close and personal inspiration to me, but to many through his gift of storytelling, which has seen his compelling films grace the global stage. Ultimately, it's the story, it's something, the interest that strikes you and hits you at a deeper level. Sort of visuals, they hit you at the eye and you go, oh, that was cool. But a story that kind of goes deeper and gets into your soul and gets under your skin, and won't leave you like those. I mean, I've had stories like that and I just still, you know, you can't forget them. And for me, that is the power of storytelling because it changes the way you think about things. I still think innately in us, we have told stories for thousands of years. Stories are how we've passed on knowledge. This is how humans relate to one another. So I don't want to bend myself to the culture of short attention span. That interview in just a few moments. Firstly, I just want to say a quick thank you for taking the time to tune in. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel to make sure you get the latest releases as soon as they come out. Plus, you can stay up to date with what the Hillsong Film and TV team are up to via our website, hillsong.com forward slash film TV, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillsong Film TV. All right, now that's out of the way, let's jump straight in. So, Paul, welcome. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Uh, I feel welcome. Yeah. Well, you should. You've got a cup of tea. We're sitting here in Los Angeles. Uh, Tell me about your passion for media. Um, I just like telling stories. Um, Actually, I was on a plane yesterday and the guy asked me what I did and we got chatting and... And and I hadn't been asked that for a long time. And um, and it is really about stories and curiosity. I think I'm just curious about... Uh, how how people live and what they think about things and and putting that in some kind of compelling you know visual and um, you know uh, compelling captivating kind of way um, I just really enjoy that and um, sort of satisfies satisfies my own curiosity to a point um, you know particularly I mean a lot of a lot of the stories I tell are, are, you know, rooted in injustice or injustice. So I think there's an aspect of, you know, being able to give voice to the voiceless that that, that I enjoy. Um, and telling people stories who maybe, you know, can't tell it themselves so much. So you sort of elevate. There's all these great stories and people are doing great things and interesting things and to be able to kind of bring that to a larger larger audience. But I think re- actually probably what it, it's it's how they make you feel. I think that's probably the heart of it. Yeah. Like if a story moves me and I'm making it and and I'm moved by what, what's being said or challenged or I think I think that's it really. Um because it's not just a story A happened, B happened, C happened. It's sort of what happens in between those that's mm. sort of the interesting, interesting part. So, um, yeah. So I mean, I've yeah been kind of doing it in one way or the other for twenty years, and I never have just never got bored of it. I've, I've never felt like it's a job particularly, because the, you know I was twenty. I was going on the plane last night, and I said, well, each thing's different. You know, it's a different story. It's a different, different. You're meeting different people. Mm. Um, so it's never the same. I mean, the craft, you know, there's elements that are the same, but the actual detail is always different and you have to approach it differently and and digging to find the story. Sometimes you go and there's this, there's not a story there, but then you dig and then you find it. And so there's a little bit of sort of Indiana Jones <laughs> <laughs> to the process. I yeah. Think. Well, I'm interested to understand a little bit more about the the what is the process of finding the right stories how do you how do you start 
even looking for the right stories? And then how do you know that one is right in front of you? Um, some t- I think sometimes you have very little to do with it. You stumble across them. Uh, well, for me it happens two ways. Sometimes I'm given something and, like, this is the story we want to tell and uh, then it's a process of, well, finding the best of what's there. Um, and then other times it's something you stumble across a story through, you know, happenstance. It just, you know, you find something and that you weren't expecting. Um, but I think good stories have lots of layers, uh, that they're not just sort of a, a linear kind of journey from one point to the next. The, the best ones have a few rabbit trails. And and I, I think, you know, you, there's lots of elements. I mean, there's... you interesting characters, people who can, you know, tell their story, who are a character in and of themselves and are articulate to be able to, you know, um, explain stuff and also reflect, you know. So sometimes it's like, yeah, you want you want to know the, the facts of what happened, but the facts alone are not enough. You need yeah. to find out about, well, what did that mean and how did that change the person and what is their reflections on what that means to their greater journey. Mm. Um so all of those things, and sometimes you just don't know. So, for instance, I just came back from a trip two weeks ago to Ghana and it was a story that on paper didn't look like there was much. It was sort of generic. Um, and, you know, and, and that, was, that was the research that had been done and we didn't have any time to research anything else. And so, you know, I was a bit kind of, you know, um, <laughs> nervous going into it. Like, are we going to even, like, come back with anything that's right. usable? But then when we got there and we just stumbled upon this amazing community who were like super deprived. I mean, the place was called Mangoasi, so and that means under the mango trees. And it's right. just this community that literally lives under the mango trees and, you know, they have dirty water source and the children aren't in school and they're, you know, super deprived. But in, in all those things, you would think that that would rip a community apart, but it's sort of done the opposite and it's brought this community together and they've got this incredible um, chief who, who's a real advocate for the community. And, and so we arrived and there was a singing and dancing and we were just embraced and welcomed. And then we had found this uh, family that we followed for a few days who, you know, really tragic circumstances, this grandmother who had her own children to look after, but then her grandchildren had kind of been given to her because the mother wasn't, you know, fit to look after the children. And, you know, they're struggling. There was like eight people. And then there was a great-grandmother as well who was super frail. And so every day it's just a struggle, a struggle. But within that, there were these beautiful moments of them They were really close as a family. And this little child that we were following, Christine, she was seven and she was super afraid at the start, but after two days she started to warm up and then she just had this incredible personality and then there was the strength of this grandmother who was doing it on her own um, and it's hard and it's it's tough but she was doing all she could and there was a real dignity in that and in the story we were doing that there was you know some help coming um, to that to that community mm. um, you know external you know NGO help and so it was going to provide an answer for that community but going into it and all I had was like a few paragraphs on a piece of paper and I was like oh I don't know if there's anything here and then right. you stumbled upon it and you dug and we dug and we they found this pastor who was the leader of the local church who was like really like committed to the community and um, so all these things, you know, that come out that you're not really expecting and that's the, sort of the joy of it when you just come back and you get back on the plane with a hard drive full of stuff saying, oh, I know there's gold here, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is gonna, I'm really looking forward to, um, really looking forward to putting it together. And then I've had other experiences where the story sounds great, you know, and it's, whoa, like I can't wait to do this. But then like this one in particular, we went again to a place in Africa and it was a really strong story 
And then when we got there, we found out the person whose story it was was basically so traumatised by the experience that they'd had, they couldn't speak. So it's like, okay, (laughs) we now have to tell a story and the protagonist is unable to really communicate. Um, so we had to think on our feet and find other voices that yeah. could help tell the story. But, um, but that's the kind of thing, you know, you never really know what's going to happen. Mm. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a time thing, it's experience, you kind of know what those things are. It's, if, you feel, if you feel it, I, not for me, it's always like, well, if I feel something, then it's something worth pursuing there. So those are the things, and a lot of trial and error. I mean, that's really, I mean, there is no, well, maybe there are formulas, but um, mostly it's trial and error, yeah. and just the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah. Do you remember the first story that you ever did? If you were to think back to that one, would you have kind of laughed at it? Oh, I laugh at all my, <laughs> Even all, now. my all my previous work. I mean, I think that's a good thing if you are if you can look back on your work and go, "What was I thinking?" Because <laughs> I mean, hopefully that's an indication that you're growing, yeah. you know, and that you are, you know, learning your craft and and honing it. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good thing to be able to laugh at your work. <laughs> what are some of the things that you've learned across the journey in storytelling as you've sharpened your craft along the process? Uh, well, I think the—I mean—the very first things I made were in film school, and, and I mean I still have those. They're all on like VHS tape, and this is a good thing there are no VA, VCRs around to be able to kind of see. <laughs> I still have one. You can yeah, use one really, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because the evidence might be quite incriminating. Yeah. Um, but I remember making stories. I had a friend who was at art school, and he used to do this prank where he would drive around with his pig mask on, and we would just film people's reactions <laughs> as it, you know would be set in a place and. And he'd, you know, he'd just, and he'd scream at people. And it was just like ridiculous, you know, when you're like 18, 19, yeah. whatever it was. Uh, and I remember making a story about him and just had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and then and then I didn't really get to make my own story because then I started to work for network television and the news uh, and current affairs. And so my first real after film school was another film school working on um, current affairs shows where I was a, like a sound recordist and a camera yeah. assistant. Um, but it was great because I got to see veteran journalists and camera operators and see how to put a story together. Um, and I learned a lot, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. um, of that kind of style um, of of television. And then, yeah, and then I would work with other, as I sort of progressed through the network, um, I would work with journalists and help put their stories. And as I got more confident, like they would ask me about, well, how is the story going? And mm. at the start, it was just like, you just push the buttons and do what yeah. they tell you. Um, but then after a while, you know, then they start to value your input. Um, so I guess that was the first kind of steps. Um, and then okay, it probably wasn't really until I started working uh, at Hillsong in all those years back in London where I was sort of left to my own. I didn't have anyone saying, make this, make that. Right. It was like I had to kind of be more proactive and make things and and learn as I went. And so, you know, we would tell people stories. Um, actually, the very f- first kind of moment, because I never thought I'd work for a church, it was not really on my radar. Um, but I think the very first moment where I thought, oh, wow, my sort of, my sort of faith and my skills can um, join together and can have an incredible impact was... Um, I think it was like 2002 or something, we went to Uganda, went on a trip and to a compassion project. And I you know, took a camera and just shot a few interviews and then I put something together, not really thinking too much of it, it played at the service. And sort of at the end of the service, there was like a stampede of people going and sponsoring kids and they ran out of kids. And I think that's where I kind of first went, oh, okay, there's a real power in this. Right. Um, 
for good, you know. And so I think that's probably where I kind of went, oh, okay, like this is something I need to pursue uh, more intentionally. Um, because I'd always sort of thought, oh, well, I'll be an editor and I'll, or I'll shoot a few things and I'll work on other people's stories. Um, and then I think that's when I realised, actually, no, I have stories that, and I have a perspective and, a, and I can see things. And so I, you know, at that time I was shooting my own stuff, editing my own right. stuff pretty much. Um, but I think that's kind of where the director kind of sort of first kind of surfaced. And actually... <laughs> Before that, was my brother's like a sound recordist, been in the industry for years, and he used to tell me about the shoots and how the cameraman would have bad backs from the cameras, and he'd have a bad back for holding <laughs> a boom for hours. And I said, "What does a director carry?" And he goes, "Oh, a clipboard." I go, "Oh, I think I might do that." <laughs> clipboard and a coffee, <laughs> yeah. most of the time, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So you, when you look at the body of your work, um, you said in the beginning, um, justice stories is a, is a lot of things that you do. Why is that? Um, was that around the time where you understood your faith and? The gifting and talent in your hand could work hand in hand? Uh, no, I mean, justice has always been a thing in me from like when I was at primary school. So I've been thinking about this recently and I get it from my mother actually. Um, but I remember at primary school, there were kids that get picked on. There was like a special needs class and they would always, you know, this is like in the early 80s and the kids would get like just harassed. Mm. And I always just, my heart just always just broke for these kids who, you know, like it just was totally unfair. Um, and I got that from my mother because my mother was, she's basically where I grew up in New Zealand, She in our little town, she was called the Mother Teresa of Mount Monganui <laughs> because she would be out with refugee families and she would just always be helping, not in any official kind of capacity, right. but she just, that's just who she was. Um, and so that was sort of modelled to me and I think that's where it, where it comes from. Um, so it developed, I have this sort of innate empathy, um, which is not pity, but it's standing in other people's shoes and imagining what it would be like to mm. be that person. And for me, I think really that's where the best storytelling comes from, where you can transport yourself and you can have that imagination to go, what would it be like to be this person? What would it be like? And how would I like that story if that was me? How would I like that to be told about me? Because um, I think in, in sort of, you know, films that have a justice bent, there's two ways. Some of them feel like they come alongside and they lift up and others look like, are like they're from the top looking down, like are pitying people and as if, you know, they're helpless and have no agency of their own. And I, those really bug me. It's like, how can I actually highlight um, the agency that these people already have, that they are, they're, they're my brothers and sisters, you know, yeah. and, and they're but for the grace of God go I. So how do we make films that elevate the human spirit and elevate the human condition and then challenge people to basically look at our own lives, particularly those of us that have been, you know, born into plenty. How do we act? What is our responsibility to the mm. poor? What is our responsibility to those that we share the planet with? Um, so coming from that angle rather than, oh, poor you, um, I'm, I'm the saviour for you. It's mm. like, actually, no, in all the travels I've done, it's always been that, that I, my own poverty is reflected and that I see a lot in these communities that I don't have. So this one in Ghana, like everyone knew each other. Like I think about my neighbours, I kind of know one on the left-hand side, the right-hand side, I've said hello a couple of times. <laughs> but we live these very individual, yeah. isolated lives. And for me, really, what the richness of life is not the possessions or the, the bank account, it's the richness of relationships. When you, I mean, you, you travel a lot and um, often to the most remote parts of the world. But when you encounter or experience something so powerful like that, that human spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection with someone that you'll probably never see again, and then you, you come back from the trip and you sit in front of the edit, how do you transfer that experience 
and what you felt through the editing process so that others on the other side can feel what you felt? You never really know. <laughs> you hope that something of the experience that you experience translates through. I mean, it's never going to completely or perfectly, but you hope that something of that essence gets through. And for me, like I kind of know when I'm editing, if I get chills, if I feel my, like I literally will, will tear up in some place because I just know that I don't, it's this magic source yeah. that happens, you know, it's a look and sometimes it's the gaps, it's the pauses, not really what someone said, but the pause after right. they said something. So it's one I did recently, this woman, she's talking about education of her children and she says, you know, I, I myself, I never stepped inside a classroom. And then you just hang on that and then you see her face and it's this, this look of longing and wishing and, mm. and then the next shot is her in a cave digging out rocks, you know, underground. You know? But it's that pause, mm. it's that pause of this longing. You could tell like everything in her wanted to have gone to school but where she was born and the financial situation just wasn't a reality. Um, so, I mean, that is your job. That's my job is to try and translate that in some way. So when you're pulling it together in the edit and you're trying to tell this story, are you telling it for the others that are going to watch it or are you telling it to be true to yourself and that experience and, and the message you're trying to put out? It's, it's, it's both, but it's, I'm actually also trying to tell it for the person whose story it is. You know, like I'd never see these people as just props to, you know, to move around you know like for me it's like when someone entrusts you with their story for me like it's a big deal it's not just ah uh, it's just some video that'll be played somewhere it's like no these people have opened up they've let you into their lives so for me I feel a responsibility to accurately portray those people so I feel you know so sometimes in the feedback process they are oh, cut this cut it for time we need to and I'm going no you don't understand these people have given their, this is part of their soul and mm. you're just like wanting to slash mm. time for an arbitrary reason, you know, not necessarily, I mean, if something dull and lagging, you can cut stuff for sure and make it better. <laughs> but when you're just cutting for arbitrary reasons, it's like, ah, uh, you know. Um, and I feel that because I've been with them, I've had to build the trust, they've let me in. Um, so I feel a real heavy responsibility to tell their story well. You are also thinking about the audience because you don't want to bore them or, you know, or it be so um, self-indulgent that you don't let that audience in. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, like, you are trying to give people a new experience and um, arrest their soul, arrest their emotions, arrest their time, you know, because people are so, you know, have been trained to just be very short attention span and, you know, in our current kind of world. So how do you slow things down? How do you get people to be in the present um, and experience and stay with the journey of something? When you're doing long form content like that, well, not content, content's, I think, a swear word sometimes. It's a dirty word. It's, it's a, a dirty, dirty word. word. Um, when you're creating stories, mm. um, what are you looking for to engage people in that? What's important to you as a filmmaker to arrest people's attention so they're uh, not being distracted by the message that's trying mm. to come through? Well, everything's working against you. So. Yeah. <laughs> so in one sense, it is a bit of a losing battle, but there are things. So I always, so visually arresting, you know, that is a shot that is, you know, captive. I want to know what's coming next. Um, surprise, you know, I often like starting films sort of you just drop them into something and they're not, you know, it's a little bit bewildering. Yeah. I'm not really sure what's going on 
and hopefully that hooks you enough to go, well, what was it, you know, whether it's like an emotional moment or some action of some kind, you go, what, what? I want to find out what was next, which mm. is sort of, you know, Ira Glass, who's a great storyteller, he always talks about, you know, well, you know, it's always about asking the question and what happened next and what happens next and you're always trying, that's what drives people through narrative. Um, is, well, I want to know what happened next. I don't mm-hmm. want to just drop out and go to the next thing. I want to, you, you know, you asked a question and I want to know what the answer to that question mm. is. Yeah, so there are, there are tricks, you know, you've got your tool bag of tricks um, <laughs> that you can use. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and it's all those sort of the basic sensory things like visually arresting, like sound, like is it a musical hook or is it, um, you know, natural sound or sound design uh, that grabs people. Um and it depends on also like where is this thing being played? You know, if you mm-hmm. have a captive audience because that's some event or it's in a cinema, well then you've got a captive audience and you can take your time a little more. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that's just going, you know, on the internet somewhere, then yeah, you probably do have, you know, that seven seconds or yeah. whatever before they flick to the next thing, which, you know, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I sort of don't want to bend myself to, to, to the culture of short attention span. Like, I, you know, like you'd hear a whole lot of experts who will tell you the research of that. I still think innately in us, we have told stories for thousands of years. Stories are how we've passed on knowledge. It's, it's our sort of, it's our, it's, and this is across the world, this is how humans relate to one another. So I, I think there are, you know, it's Aristotle, you know, talked about the story, you know, 3,000 years ago, that it's pity, fear, catharsis. That's sort of the, the three-act structure, which, you know, you, you, you build empathy for a character, um, you put that character in jeopardy, and then you release that character from jeopardy and you get a cathartic moment. Mm. Um, well, that's worked for forever, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't want to kind of like tinker with that so much um, and be sort of a slave to the experts who have, will show me all the social media research. I think stories are primarily what, what humans do and I would sort of always fight against those people who go, well, you've got seven seconds. I go, well, I might have seven seconds and then I might have the next seven seconds and then you right. know, string a few seven seconds together and, you know. Yeah. So for people beginning, maybe um, someone's listening to this and thinking, I love storytelling, I've never known how to tell stories, where would you suggest or encourage them to start? Uh, two things would be, uh, one, just go out and make stuff. Uh, which now is so doable because when I was coming up, like you just couldn't get equip, you couldn't get access to equipment, uh, which is why people went to film school. Like now, if people said, "Should I go to film school?" I go, eh, "Maybe." <laughs> like you don't have to. You can right. get really good gear for pretty cheap or borrow it, big borrow and steal all that, uh, and make stuff. And you learn by making and failing mostly. I mean, you always learn by failing. Uh, and the more you make, the the more you 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 get closer to what you see in your head because there's always a gap between what you you know you're always Scorsese in your head <laughs> and with, <laughs> with your hands you're you know not quite there. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and then you know watch a lot of stuff. You know, like watch the greats. Um, there's nothing wrong with um, gleaning and learning and you know and employing some of those techniques in your own work Mm. Um, and then eventually you start to find your own voice and you don't have to Mm. you know copy so much but I think everyone starts I mean no one's original everyone's borrowing from each other like Mm. it's just the way it is so like watch a lot of things and then analyze why you liked something or didn't like or where it lost you or where where it grabbed you so watching things more critically and intentionally 
Um, and then not watching stuff because sometimes you can be you can watch so much you just be, or you know everything's derivative and you just have no clear ideas of yourself. Yeah. So I think that's that balance of being influenced and then letting your own mind and soul percolate, and then make stuff. You, there's no substitute for just getting out there and. You know, learn every time you do an interview, you learn how to do it better, and what you know, and how to get better answers, and how to build rapport with people, and um, and you can do that now. And I mean, that's the amazing thing. It's the golden age. Like, everyone can do it, which is a good thing and a bad thing. It's like it's good because there's access, but then there's a lot of you know not very good <laughs> stuff that gets made as well. And yeah. you know, so it's harder to stand out. I don't know, but I, there's no sac- there's no substitute. I think for just doing it. Yeah. And, and there's really no excuse anymore. Creativity is often explained as being subjective. You know, mm. it's in the eye of the beholder. Who do you allow and what would you advise people in regards to who you show your projects to as they're being built? You know, do you believe that you should show everybody and get all opinions or how do you work that? Uh, for me, it's I have a small group of people that I trust. Um, the key is finding people who are for you. Um, and, and again, with our sort of social media culture, everyone has an opinion and all opinions are sort of equal whether, <laughs> whether that's justified or not. Um, so once it's out there, then people will say what they like and, you know, you just got to take that on the chin and, you know, you're never as good as people say you are and you're never as bad as people say uh, you are usually. But in the process, I keep that really narrow to just a handful of people who's, who know me and are for me and want me to be a better storyteller, mm. uh, who people whose, you know, I, I value and, and admire their work, you know, and, and that they actually know what they're talking about. Um, because I think if you have too many voices, you end up doubting your own voice. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it does come down to you and trusting and believing in the vision that you have for something. And it's really easy to get kind of sidetracked when you're trying to please all, you know, I've got to please this client, I've got to please this audience, I've got to please this guy with all this research that says if I do this and at four minutes 16 in the film, that's going to be a hit. Um, oh, I want the, the adulation of my peers so that I can put it on Vimeo and get a staff pick and then, <laughs> and then I'll feel amazing and, yeah. and then someone will notice me and then I'll get signed to some company and be repped and then, you know, then I'll have made it. It's yeah. like, well, <laughs> you know, like all you have is the work that you're doing yeah. and... Um, and for me, it's like, in the end of the day, I, I have to believe in the work that I've made. And while I value a few people's opinions to help make it better, uh, at the end, you do have to trust the vision that, that you started with or that you found along the journey of telling the story. Uh, and that's not always possible because, you know, if it's, particularly if it's a commercial thing or you're making something for someone else who's commissioned it, then there are things you're going to have to bend. And sometimes that can be really hard <laughs> because you don't agree with them and sometimes you lose those battles. But then I think that's why you should make passion projects because then you are in control and you can make it however you want. And, mm. and friends I know that are, you know, in the commercial space and they're having to deal with clients and agencies and the only way they keep their sanity is by, yes, doing a commercial thing that pays the bills and keeps the lights on and then they do it with a, do a passion project right. where they can just like let that creative spirit kind of run and it just helps that that balance mm. um, and I think that's probably quite true. <laughs> Would you rather a good story with bad camera work or a well shot piece with a mediocre story? Good story with bad pictures every time. 
yeah, it's for me like things that just have great visuals. They are ultimately empty. Like they're great wallpaper, and they're you know, but they don't leave you with anything other than pretty pictures. You know, so for me, it's always got to be what's going on underneath. You know, and great visuals and great sound and score and all those things will help bring the story out. Um, so you need it all. You do. You know. You hopefully you, you want to try and get it all, but. Ultimately, it's the story, it's something, the interest that strikes you and hits you at a deeper level. Sort of visuals, they hit you at the eye and you go, oh, that was cool. Um, but a story that kind of goes deeper and gets into your soul and gets under your skin and won't leave you like those. I mean, I've had stories like that that, and I just still, you know, you can't forget them. And for me, that is, that's the power of storytelling because it changes the way you think about things. And um, that's for me the value of it and that's why it's mm. valuable and not just content, you know, like <laughs> these potentially have have the, the potential to change the way people think about things. Yeah. What do you hope for when you embark on a project? What do you hope the goal is in terms of the end result? Um, I want to enjoy the process, you know, like, I mean, as selfish as that probably sounds. Like, the, you know, a great story is great and it can look great and all the craft, but if it was a really terrible journey because the people you're working with were just difficult and, like, I just wouldn't want to do that. Like, I wouldn't, I'd rather do something that maybe is less craft-wise but we all enjoyed the journey of it together because, mm. like, you know, we got one life. I, I just wouldn't want to be completely miserable. Mm. Um, but, you know, you want something that you're proud of as well, you know, something that communicates well, that... Um, brought the audience along um, that was uh, true to the to the st- what the story is about and and honouring to whoever the story is about. I'm thinking more from a documentary kind yeah. of sense, which is mostly what I do. And yeah, if you can get all those three things working together, you know, if you can get paid doing it as well, that's that's pretty good. It always helps. Um, but you know, you're juggling all those things and the tension of all those things, and yeah. you know that ebbs and flows. Um, but yeah, for, I think enjoying the journey for sure is actually probably pretty high on the list. I'd rather do it with great people than get a really good kind of, you know, payday at the end of it, but have just hated the yeah, whole process of it. It's brilliant. Well, thanks for your time, for your insight into storytelling. All the best on your journey. Thank you very much. Well, I'm glad you tuned into today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel to make sure you get the latest episode as soon as it's released. And if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Write to us in the review or comment section. I look forward to being with you again next time on the Hillsong Film and TV podcast. Until then, bye for now.